let's have a word of prayer tonight, even as we get into the Word of God. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you. We want to appreciate you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your loving kindness. Thank you for your mercy that endured forever. Thank you for how you have taught us in the past seven weeks. Thank you for today, which is the concluding part of this teaching series. Thank you for depth you have opened us into. Thank you for light that has shone on our path. Thank you for what you are still going to do here tonight. Holy Spirit, we appreciate you for understanding. We thank you for teaching us. We thank you for speaking to us week in, week out. And we thank you for what you are going to do again tonight. The Bible says better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. And I'm praying tonight, Spirit of the living God, that as we conclude this teaching tonight, you will teach us specially by yourself. You will reveal your word to us in the name of Jesus Christ. I yield myself continually, completely to you. Let my voice be your voice. Let my thoughts be your thoughts. Think through me. Speak through me in the name of Jesus Christ. Anoint my tongue. Make it like that of the pen of a ready writer. And at the end of everything, let your name alone be glorified. In Jesus' precious name, we have prayed. Amen. Alright, so once again, you are welcome tonight. And um, we'll be looking at the doctrine of righteousness, uh, part 8, which is the concluding part. I'm trusting God. I'm trusting the Holy Spirit that tonight is going to help us. And we will finish this chapter uh, so that in the coming week, we will be able to move into what the Lord has communicated to our spirit. Hallelujah. Alright, let's take our opening confession uh, together. The Doctrine of Righteousness Part 8. Uh, we take our opening confession and then we get into the Word of God. Alright, once you go, this is my Bible. I am what it says. I am. I have what it says. I have. I can do what it says. I can do today. I'll be taught the Word of God. I boldly confess that my mind is alert, my heart is receptive, I will never be the same. I'm about to receive the incorruptible, indestructible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. I will never be the same, never, 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 I will never be the same in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, Romans chapter 5, uh, last week Saturday we looked at, I think, the first four verses. Uh, and in case you missed that teaching, I would strongly advise that you go listen to it again and again and again. We looked at a whole lot of things, I mean a whole lot of things in just that one teaching alone. And I, I can't go back into that again this evening. If I'm tempted to go there, there is no way we would finish what we would be looking at tonight. So tonight we'll start from Romans chapter 5 and verse 5. Uh, permit me to read from the Passion Translation. We'll be using that translation tonight. We'll be moving from TPT to NLT and KJV. Uh, those are the three translations that we will be using tonight. And then we trust the Holy Spirit to grant us understanding. Romans chapter 5. 
and this hope is not a disappointing fantasy because we can now experience the endless love of God cascading into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Now, if we read this verse, we will be quick to think that it's not making any meaning or probably it's not really carrying much weight. But if we patiently take it word by word or statement by statement or phrase by phrase, we will see that there is something God is communicating to us there. Romans chapter 5 verse 5. The Bible says, and this hope is not a disappointing fantasy. Why? He said, because we can now, underline the now, the word now. We can now, not in the future. We can now experience, not know. There's a difference between knowing something and experiencing something. You see, many of the things that believers have come to relate with is knowledge. Knowledge without experience, to me, is still not taking you anywhere. Praise God. And we are not called just to know. We are called to move from knowledge to experience. So the Bible is saying here that we can now experience the endless love of God. We can now. And I think that is going to make us go to Ephesians chapter 3. There is something in Ephesians chapter 3 that is sounding like this particular verse. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, permit me to read from verse 16, KJV. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 16, he said that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Now look at verse 17. That Christ may dwell in your heart by faith through the Holy Spirit. Now I'm combining this with Romans chapter 5 verse 5 because the Bible says that we have the Holy Spirit who lives in us now. So how is Christ dwelling in us by faith? Christ is now dwelling in us by faith in the person of the Holy Spirit. And that was why John chapter 14 verse 10, Jesus was speaking that the works that I do is the Father that is in me that doeth the work. Who is the Father in me? The Holy Spirit. So Jesus was speaking in John chapter 14 verse 10 that God the Father was doing the work of the ministry through him, which is God the Son, through the person of the Holy Spirit that lives in him, which is God the Spirit. And that is the same thing happening to us right now. We have the person of the Holy Spirit in us. So it is like we have in Christ dwelling in us. And the Bible is now saying that Christ may be rooted in our heart by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love, look at verse 18, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, what is the length, what is the depth and the height and to know the love of Christ with perfect knowledge. You will see two things there, knowing knowledge. One is experiential knowledge. He said that we may experience the love of Christ. So you may put it there that and to experience the love of Christ with perfect knowledge. 
and to experience the love of Christ because the word knowledge here is experience that we may experience the love of Christ that passes what you can understand, what you can comprehend with your human brain. So the love of God is not what you can know. The love of God is what you must experience. And now we can experience it, not that we are going to experience it in the future, not that we are going to get to heaven to experience it. Now we can experience the endless love of God, the endless love. This love is endless. Praise God. This love is not because you love him. It is because he loves us. It is not about our love for him. It's about his love for us. Many people boast about their love for God. And that was why someone like Peter could betray Jesus, deny Jesus before the cock crew. Peter said, oh, I'm going to die. I mean, if anybody deserts you, I will die for you. Jesus said, hey, those who boast like this, they fail. And Peter said, oh, I'm not going to fail. If anybody run away, if anybody deserts you, just count me in. I will be there for you. And Jesus said, you don't know what you are talking about. You would, I would rather have you boast in my love for you and not your love for me. And before the court crew, that same Peter denied Jesus three times. He even cursed and swear, I don't know this man. Hear me and hear me well. I would rather boast in his love for me than boast in my love for him. Praise God. So the Bible speaking here says, we can now experience the endless love of God cascading into our heart through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. This love is not faked. This love is not what you pretend. It's not something you pretend. It is not something you act. It is something that is being facilitated by the person of the Holy Spirit. So I can say any day, any time, God loves me. Oh my God. God loves me. And he doesn't just love me alone. He loves me like he loves Jesus. God does not love you less than he loves Christ. God does not love Christ more than you. God loves us the same way. The same way that he loves Jesus. And not when we give our life to Christ. This love was before we became born again. So you don't have to do anything to make him love you more. There is nothing you can do to make him love you less. This is unconditional love. This is not the give and take love that we have as carnal men. This is not the conditional love that is being traded among the mortars. This is not the love of when you do something, I love you. When you don't do this, I don't love you. This is not the love based on prayer. It's not based on fasting. It's not based on your givings. It's not based on your works. It is based on the integrity of the word of God and the person of Christ. Hallelujah. This love is based on one person. It is based on what Christ has done. 
So there is nothing you can do to make God love you more. There is nothing you can do to make God love you less. So how do I now go about this love? I receive it. Hallelujah. I receive it. I can't pay for it. I can't buy it. It is not earned. It is received as a gift by faith. And it is facilitated in our spirit by the help of the Holy Ghost. And that is what the Bible says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 5. It is an endless love. You cannot see the end of it. There is nothing you can do that can end it. Hear me and hear me well. God does not have love. God is love. God cannot lose love. God cannot stop loving. Are you hearing me tonight? God does not have love. The day he stops loving is the day he ceases to be God. God is love. So there is nothing you can do. And God does not change. Malachi chapter 3 verse 6. The Bible says, I am the Lord God. I change it not. So love does not change. Love is not, this love is not seasonal. That maybe in the morning God is loving, in the afternoon God is not loving, in the evening God is moody. No, it is a constant love that never changes. Hallelujah. And it is endless in nature. The Bible says endless love of God. So we can experience it by allowing the Holy Ghost to facilitate it through us. Hallelujah. It is already in your spirit. It's already in your spirit. It's already in your spirit. You only need to start living from within. Hallelujah. Now let's look at verse 6. For when the time was right, the anointed one came and died to demonstrate his love for sinners. Hear me and hear me well. Many people think that uh, it is when, many people think that it is when something good happens to them, then they come and share testimony. Hey, praise the Lord. I have come to celebrate the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God. Most times I'm always, um, I mean, I'm always uncomfortable with those statements. Now, that testimony is not a proof that God loves you. Whether you have a testimony or not, God loves you. Are you hearing me? Don't be, I mean, don't base God's love on things that happens. Don't base his love on happiness. I got a job, God loves me. So what happens when you don't get a job? Are you hearing me? And that is why many people backslide so easily. Why? Because they have not been taught the fundamentals and the foundational things of Christianity. That the love of God is not based on happiness. It's not based on performance. It's not something you transact. Oh, when I have a testimony, it loves me. When I don't have a testimony, it does not love me. Hear me and hear me well. Before you, I mean, before we gave our life to Jesus Christ, the Bible says, why we were of no use? Are you hearing me? A translation says, when we were useless, when we were of no value, God has loved us. Now you are now born again. You are now coming to say, oh, I just want to let you know that God loves me. No, God has loved you before, before. Are you hearing me? He has loved you. If you have come to tell us that you are affirming the love, it's a different ballgame. But you are now coming to tell us that because you got a job, then it shows that God loves you. Then something is wrong with you. Hallelujah. The Bible says here that God has, there is nothing God needs to use again to prove that he loves us. The coming of Christ is that proof that we all need. And that is more than enough. That proof is more than enough. Oh my God. It is more than enough. I wrote it in my Bible. I said it is enough. 
God has already proved to you. He has already proved to the world. There is nothing God needs to prove again. I see many people say, it's like God hates me. It's like God hates me. I don't know. It's like God hates me. And when you ask them why, they say, because I, I mean, I mean, I don't have a testimony. Oh, I've been praying for quite a number of days. He has not answered me. It's like God hates me. <laughs> Praise God. Some will say, I, I feel like God hates me. I feel. No, it's not a feeling. Hallelujah. The moment you are trying to feel it, it's not erotic love. Are you hearing what I'm saying? No, it's not filia. It's not all those love that makes you do gish gish. No, it's not the gish gish love. <laughs> Praise God. It's an experiential love that you see, you experience by faith. So it's not in your feeling. It doesn't make you shiver. Are you hearing what I'm trying to say? No, that's not the love of Christ. It is love that we know by experience. So the Bible says that when we were yet sinners, when we were utterly helpless, when we were weak and powerless to save ourselves, God loves us. Hi, are you hearing me? Now let me shock you again and again. God loves you the same way he loves that sinner out there. Are you hearing me? God's love, God does not love you more than the person that has not given his life to Christ now. No, <laughs> no. God loves everybody equally, equally. Are you hearing me? If anybody ever told you that God loves me more than you, it's a big lie. It's not scriptural. Tell the person to show you in the scriptures where God ever referred to somebody and say, I love you more than this one. Tell the person to refer you to that scripture. That where God said, I love him more than thee. Hallelujah. Praise God. In the light of redemption. Praise God. Alright, so. God already demonstrated his love for us. He has already demonstrated his love. He has already demonstrated his love. You just need to get into the word of God and believe it. He has already demonstrated. So, don't wait for any other demonstration. The Bible says in John 3, 16, that which we quote all the time, for God so loved the world, that he gave, that he gave his only begotten son, that is the proof of his love. Not miracle job, not breakthrough. That's not the proof of God's love. The proof of God's love was that Jesus came to die for us when we were without sin. Sorry, when we were with sin, when we were helpless, when we were hopeless, when we were doomed, when we were on our way to hell, that is the demonstration of his love. So don't, don't reduce his love to miracles. Don't reduce his love to all those things that we have reduced it to in the church today. Don't reduce the love of God that sent his son to the cross to breakthroughs. I mean, that is an insult to the entire work of redemption. Do you know that despite all the miracles that Jesus did, if he did not die on that cross, he had failed? I hope you know. Jesus didn't come to rock miracles. The greatest work was done on that cross. And the greatest of the greatest was when he rose from the dead. So don't be equating his love to things. I mean, it's an insult. Equating his love to cars. Somebody bought a phone and said, God loves me. Can you see an insult to the work of redemption? When an unbeliever that does not know Christ is using phone, a Christian is not testifying that that is a proof of God's love for him. I just think something is wrong with our, our fundamental teachings. The proof of his love is that he came and he died on that cross. It was not the, the, the nails that held him on the cross. It was the love that held him on the cross. His only crime was love. His only crime was love that he loved us. That was the only crime he committed. That was the only sin he committed. That he loved us and he died for us. So please receive this. He has already shown you he loves you. 
praise God. All right, let's look at verse 8. But Christ proved God's passionate love. I mean, I've not even seen this verse 8. Verse 8, before I explain the things I explained. But Christ proved. So God's love has been proved already. Christ proved God's passionate love for us. How? By dying in our place while we were still lost and ungodly. Simple. Period. Nothing more. Nothing less. Christ proved it already. So what is the proof of God's love? Jesus' death on the cross. Period. Not miracles. Not breakthroughs. Not answered prayers. Not, you see, if your transaction with God, and let me say this loud and clear, if your transaction with God, permit me to even use that word carelessly because even transaction is offensive. Okay, if your dealings with God, if your work with God is based on he answered prayer, he does not answer prayer, is on miracles, I'm telling you, you may not go far. You may not go far. I'm just being honest with you. If your faith is hanging, or <laughs> if your fault, this your commitment to God is because of answered prayers, or breakthroughs, or money, or job. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters in the Lord, it's just a matter of time you will go back into the world. Paul said that your faith may not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. If your faith is not standing on the person of Jesus Christ, it's just a matter of time you will go back into the world. You would see in the scriptures, things will come to test what you think you believe. So if you are not standing on Christ the solid rock, when those things come to test your faith, and I'm telling you tonight, I don't know who needs to hear that, this faith you claim to have will be tempted, sorry, will be tested. It will be tried. And that was why you could hear men like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, Our Lord whom we serve is able to deliver us. And even if he does not, we will not bow. You need to come to a point where you tell God, even if you don't answer my prayer, you are still my God. See, that is what we are talking about. You need to cross that line of bread and butter. He answered my prayer, is my God. He doesn't answer my prayer, he does not love me. Those are things I don't understand. Praise God. God already demonstrated his love. Jesus died on the cross. Let's look at verse 9, Romans chapter 5, verse 9. And there is still much more to see of his unfailing love for us. For through the blood of Jesus Christ, we have heard the powerful declaration, you are now righteous in my sight. So there is even more to the issue of his unfailing love. Because through the blood of Jesus, God has declared us now to be righteous in his sight. Not future, not after rapture, not when we get to heaven. God has declared us now to be right in his sight. It's simple. I didn't do it. He did it for me. Praise God. So if you believe in his love, then you must believe in righteousness by, by, as a gift. You can't say you believe in the love of God and then you are not saying righteousness is by works. Praise God. Then you are having a double standard. Praise God. So the Bible is saying that through the blood of Jesus Christ, God declared us now to be righteous, to be right in His sight. So we can stand before Him as if we have never committed the sin without any inferiority, without any guilt and every, any sense of condemnation. That is what we are talking about. That is also the proof of his love. 
that he made a righteous out of a wretch. Hallelujah. He made a treasure out of a trash. That is the promised law. Glory to God. Now the Bible says, and because of the sacrifice of Jesus, we will never experience the wrath of God. Hear me and hear me well. We have passed from condemnation to life. We cannot experience the wrath of God. I don't know about you, but I cannot experience the wrath of God. If you believe in Jesus Christ, John chapter 5 verse 24, John chapter 5 verse 24, the Bible says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come. Did you see the word shall there? When you read your Bible, underline the tenses there. And shall not, and shall not. Hear me and hear me well. I am not thinking of hell because I will never go there. It's not in my thoughts. It's not, and I'm being honest with you, it's not in my thought. If I preach about hell and cry, it will move me because I'm not going there. I'm not going there. I'm not going there. Praise God, not because of me, but because I've placed my faith in Jesus. I'm not going there. I fill myself with the thoughts of heaven. I, I mean, I tell myself, oh, when my time on earth is over, when I see him in glory, when I see his face in glory, that is how I talk. I don't talk about, you see, there are many today, again, they are Christians because they are scared of hell. Your foundation is shaking. If the reason why you are a child of God is because you don't want to go to hell, you have not heard the real gospel. Are you hearing me? If you are hearing me tonight and you are still living your life based on the fear of hell, something is wrong somewhere. The Bible says in John 5.24, read the Bible. He said that you shall not come, you shall not come into condemnation, but you have passed from death to life. Please believe the Bible. Believe the Bible. Somebody said, how are you sure you will make heaven? Because I have placed my faith in Jesus Christ. Simple. And I'm washing his blood. Not because I do any other thing. That is the ticket to heaven. Any other thing places a question mark on the redemptive work of Christ. If the blood of Jesus is not enough to save you from hell, then something is wrong somewhere. If you still need to do something and do something and do something to make heaven, then I think you need to check your foundation. When John Wesley was about to depart, a thought said to him, and John Wesley said it must have been the devil, that despite all the works you have done, Despite all the crusades and the souls that you have saved, don't you think you will make heaven? He said, no, no. I'm not going to make heaven by works. I'm not going to make heaven because I want souls. I'm not going to make heaven because I preach the gospel. I am making heaven because I have placed my faith in the Son of the living God and I am washed by his blood. Hear me and hear me well. That is what makes you get to heaven. Every other thing you do is because of reward understand these two differences. You don't walk to get to heaven. Are you hearing me? Faith in Jesus Christ is enough to get you there. If you truly believe. Alright, so the Bible says here that we will never experience the wrath of God. Aren't you excited about that? Praise God that you are living your life in with full assurance that you will never experience the wrath of God. So when they are talking about those that who 
will experience the wrath of God. You can just be laughing and smiling because you are not going there. You don't belong to those people. Glory to God. So if while we were still sinners, God fully reconciled us to himself. Can you see? It was not even now. While we were sinners, we have been reconciled. He said through the death of his son, then something greater than friendship is ours. Now that we are at peace with God, and because we share in his resurrection life, how much more we will be rescued from sin's dominion. Hallelujah. I love to read this. I think I need to read this in NLT. Let's look at Romans chapter 5, verse 10 in NLT. He said, For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son. Please, what did he call what we have with God? Friendship with God. Please, this is the essence of this teaching. Abraham is not the only friend of God now. We also have become the friend of God. Are you hearing me? That is why we are, don't look your, don't look at yourself so inferior. Don't carry a beggarly mentality. We have become God's friend, God's confidant, God's children. Please, let this sink into, don't go before God and be begging like a slave. Are you hearing me? We have become God's friend. God's friend. Please never forget this. See yourself as God's friend. No, I didn't call myself God's friend. He called me his friend. He wooed me to us. I mean, <coughs> excuse me. He wooed me as his friend. How? By the death on the cross. Hallelujah. So I am not bragging when I say God is my friend. I'm not proud when I say God is my friend. I am actually being scriptural. Praise God. So do you take permission to talk to a friend? Do you need a protocol to talk to a friend? If truly that person is your friend, do you need somebody else to talk to your friend? These are the days that people still go through men of God. I don't understand. Even despite teaching every week, some persons still go to consult men. I don't know the problem of people. You have direct access to God. You still go through man and say, please help me talk to God. What is wrong with you? When will you start, I mean, when will you start building your life with God personally? When? These things break my heart. You preach so heavily. People will still, after the preaching, they will still go to one man of God. Well, if that is you, may I just tell you the truth? You may likely not grow into the fullness of God. It's just the truth. You may not like it. You are not likely going to, I mean, you are not likely going to grow into the fullness of God. Because you always wait for man. What of if the day the phone number or the call of that man does not go through, what will happen to you? What if the man is not available? What will happen to you? The Bible says that since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So we have been reconciled as God's friend. Please never forget. Abraham lived as a friend of God. And that was why God could say, I cannot hide this thing from Abraham. A friend of God became the confidant of God. Much more when we have a better righteousness. I hope the right, I hope you know that the righteousness we have is far better than the righteousness of Abraham. Abraham's righteousness was imputed righteousness. Our own righteousness is both imputed and imparted. 
praise God, the difference is clear. Now you have double-edged righteousness. You are still not living as a friend of God. I wish Abraham many times looked back and he feels like slapping some of us. That do you guys know what you have? I didn't even have up to these asses. And I, I mean, I still lived as a friend of God. How I wish men like Moses can look at us and slap us and say, are you alright? You guys have what we did not have. You guys have what we did not have. And yet you are still living like a slave. Elijah will look back and look at many of us running around men of God and slap us by the back and say, you are not serious. Despite the investment on the cross, you have become a friend of God. Am I saying it's wrong to visit men of God? Of course not. I don't have anything against it. But I just feel that that shouldn't be your very first point of call in any matter. If you are ever, if it would, even if there would be a need to see a man of God, uh, it must bring confirmation to what you already know. If you are hearing from a man of God for the very first time, something is wrong with your Christianity. If a man of God is bringing you a confirmation for the first time, or whatever he or she is saying, it surprises you. No, it should not surprise you. Praise God. It should bear witness to what you already know in your spirit. That is how we know that you are growing. That is how we know that you are a child of God. Bible says as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. That is how we know if what we are saying is meeting you for the first time, then something is wrong with your walk with God. Hallelujah. Alright, let's look at verse. Verse, what are we now? Verse 11. And even more than that, we overflow with triumphant joy in our new relationship with the living. In our new relationship of the living reconciled to God, all because of Jesus Christ. This is why we can overflow with joy. Unfortunately, many people, their joy in quotes, which is not joy anyway, because joy is not what you get when you got a breakthrough. That's not joy. That is happiness. Joy is not what you experience when your prayer is answered. That is happiness. Joy is not what you experience when you just bought a car. That is happiness. Are you hearing me? No. Joy is always in your spirit. Joy is tied to God. It's not tied to things. So you can be joyful even when things are not working well. Praise God. <laughs> because some people's joy now, in quotes, I mean, let me put it that way, in quotes, what they call joy is affected when things are not going well. Praise God. I wish we had time. I wish we had time. I was sharing with my wife in the course of the week, Acts chapter 16, that many Christians read. Are you hearing me? I'm not sure we understood that chapter. Go and read it. Paul was not praying and singing so that he would be rescued from the prison. That was not why. You see, many of us, the things we use prayer and praise for today, if only God were men, I'm telling you, many of us will have been flogged. The saints of old did not use prayer and praise for those things. When they held vigil, they didn't hold vigil for the reason we are holding vigil today. They are not holding vigil for miracle job and breakthrough. Read your Bible now. When they were singing and praising God in the prison, it was not that God come and deliver us from the prison. You know why? After the earthquake, they should have run away. I hope you know they did not run away. 
I hope you know that the jailer wanted to kill himself thinking that Paul and Silas had escaped. Paul said, don't kill yourself, we are here. Paul still preached the gospel to the people there. Paul still got them saved. Then the jailer said, you are free to go. Paul said, no, I'm still not going. Why? When they arrested us, they arrested us in the public. By the time they must free us, they must come and free us ceremoniously. That is to tell you that the intervention they needed in the prison was not for freedom. was so that something will happen that will grip the heart of men and bring them to conviction so that they can surrender their life to Christ. That was why Paul and Silas prayed and sang songs in the prison. But today, our home is based on God just give me something. All your prayer and worship has become instrument of begging and begging and begging. And begging. And that's why we are not seeing the act of God. That's why we are not seeing the act of God. Praise God. So we can have joy at the face of tribulation. Many people, if they were the one that the earthquake happened that day, they would have run away. <laughs> are you hearing me? Eh? They will have been at their house. Say about there were souls you should have won. Which souls? No, there will be one later. Let me run for my dear life now. Praise God. That's not Christianity. Romans 5:12. Let's begin to wrap up gradually. When Adam sinned, the entire world was affected. Sin entered human experience, and death. When Adam sinned. Good. And so death followed his sin, casting its shadow over all humanity because all have sinned. Please understand this that we are not a sinner because we commit sin. We became a sinner because Adam sinned. So when Adam sinned, it was accounted to all humanity that they have sinned. And that is why everyone born is born a sinner. Whether your dad is a bishop, your mom is a pastor, prophetess, I don't care the two anointed people that came together that gave birth to you. Everyone is born a sinner. So it is not when you started committing something that you became a sinner. No, actually what you are committing is a proof of who you are. Are you hearing what I'm trying to say? It's not that that is now when you sinned. No, that is just affirming to us that this is a sinner. For example, when you go to a mango tree and you see a mango fruit, the fruit is only attesting to the tree. Are you hearing what I'm trying to say? So, what you are committing is only attesting to the nature you carry. So, sin is first a nature that everybody inherited because of Adam. Please understand this. Because now you will understand how we became righteous. So, you didn't do anything to become a sinner. You only did something. You were born. That, is, that, that was just what you needed to do. As long as you are born, you are a sinner. And that is why there is nothing like, hey, I'm a Christian because I grew up in a Christian home. No! I'm a Christian because we go to church. No! I'm a Christian because when we were young, my daddy told me that I've been a Christian. No! You must come to a point where you place your faith in Jesus Christ. Alright, so the Bible says here that all have sinned 
on. Now, sin was in the world before Moses gave the written law, but it was not charged against them where no law existed. Now, sin has been in the world, but it was not accounted, it was not imputed to anyone because why there was no law to break. And that was why when Cain killed Abel, it was not accounted to him as a sin. When Abraham lied that Sarah was his sister, it was not accounted to him as a sin. Why? Because there was no law. Everything that happened from Adam to Moses was not accounted to man as sin. Because there was no law to break. So when law entered the equation from Moses, that was when sin became accounted to man. Hi, can I now give you good news? If you now read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 to 21, you will now see that God is no longer counting sin against man again. God is no longer imputing sin to man. God is imputing righteousness. Are you hearing what I'm saying now? So there is there is no account where God is storing sin any longer. <clears throat> God is no longer counting sin against us. God is actually imputing righteousness to us. I wish I had time to explain that. That would take me like 30, 45 minutes to explain. It's a deep mystery. So, we, if God is not holding sin against you, why are you holding sin against yourself? Now, this is not to now say, let me go and sin because God is not holding sin against me. There's something is wrong with you actually. Something is just wrong with you. Praise God. Uh-huh. Something is just wrong with you because the question is, why should you sin? Hallelujah. Alright, so sin was in the world before Moses gave the written law, but it was not charged against them because there was no no law existed. He said, yet death reigned as king from Adam to Moses, even though they hadn't broken the command the way Adam did. The first man Adam was a picture of the Messiah who was to come. Now, there is no comparison between Adam's transgression and the gracious gift that we experience. For the magnitude of the gifts far outweighs the crime. This gift is the gift of righteousness. The magnitude of the gift far outweighs, outweighs the crime. It is true that many died because of one man's transgression. But how much greater will God's grace and his gracious gifts of acceptance overflow to many because of what one man Jesus the Messiah did for us. I think I need to switch to NLT now to, to get a better understanding of what this verse is saying. Let me, let me get straight to NLT. I think that will help us here. Alright, let me start from verse 15. But there is a greater difference between Adam's sins and God's, grac- God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this mother man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of what of that one man's sin. 
for Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gifts lead to our being made right with God. Adam's sin led to condemnation. God's grace brought us what? Righteousness. Adam's sin led many to become guilty. God's free gift of grace brought us the gift of righteousness. Praise God. Now let's continue. Verse 17. For the sin of this woman, Adam, caused many death, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. Did you see that word? Gift of righteousness. Gift. So righteousness is a gift. Righteousness is a gift. Righteousness is a gift. Alright. Now the Bible says for but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. I love this verse 17. It's one of my favorite verse in the Romans, the epistle of Paul to the, to the people of Romans. Let me read it in KJV. For if by one man's offense, death reigned by one, much more, much more, they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign, hallelujah, they shall reign in this life by one Jesus Christ. Those who have received the grace of God and the gift of righteousness are the one that will reign over sin and death through Jesus Christ. Not those that go to church, not those that fast, Please hear me and hear me well. The antidote to fasting, sorry, to, to sin, to overcoming sin is not fasting and prayer. I'm just being honest with you. Read the Bible. If you ever see a place where they said to stop sinning, fast and pray, come and show me. <laughs> hear me and hear me well. If you understand the power of the cross, if you understand the power of grace and the gift of righteousness, I'm telling you, you will never have to pray one day to overcome a sin. You see, all these systems that they gave to us in the church is to help us till we come to the place of grace and righteousness. So I call them a makeshift program. All this discipline. Uh, go and discipline yourself. I, I'm not saying you shouldn't be disciplined. Don't get me wrong. But I am only trying to ask you, when last has that discipline helped? In fact, many of you listening to me, you have fasted and prayed over some issues. Maybe the day you fasted, one day you got angry again. As you were, <laughs> as you were rounding up the fast in the name of Jesus Christ and you broke your fast, you just got angry and you're like, oh God, after fasting, you know what you are doing. You are just wasting the time. All you need is grace and this gift of righteousness. The Bible says, awake unto righteousness and sin not. 
It is the righteous nature that produces the righteous act. So you must come to a place where you first know, understand that you have been made righteous. When you understand that, I'm not saying you know, when you understand that, naturally it confers an offensive odor for sin. I don't know, maybe you get trying. Sin becomes offensive to you. Why? Because you have seen yourself to be clothed in righteousness. So to sin will not be by consent, not by I, I don't know, I can't help it. It will not be that you consented to it. Prayer and fasting will save from sin. Then Jesus need not to have died on the cross. He would just have told everybody, brethren, just go and fast and pray, you will be saved from sin. No, it cannot. It cannot. And I stand to be corrected. If it has helped you, I challenge you to an open debate. It cannot. We must come to the scriptures. I read that again. That's why I said this scripture, is, this verse is a very powerful verse. Unfortunately, we don't have time. We just have to wrap up this teaching today. For if by one man's offense, death reigned by one, much more, they which received. Did you see that word? You see, many of us have not received the grace of God. We have learned about it. We have heard about it. We have even preached about it. But we have not received it. The Bible did not say much more they which have spoken about it. It didn't say much more they which have heard about it. Did you know the Bible says in John 1.12 that as many that received him, they were the one he gave power to become the sons of God, not the one that heard about him. Those who receive, good. So many have, you see, when you receive these things, that is when the power is released. So the Bible says, they which have received the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, they shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. So what is the key to triumph over sin and death? God's grace and his gift of righteousness. In case you are finding it difficult to believe, uh, of course, you know I believe in fasting, don't get me wrong. Go and read Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 7, Romans chapter 8. Read those three chapters, NLT, read it in KJV, read it in Living Bible, read it in TPT. If you still think that it is fasting and prayer that will do this thing, then come back and come in life. You will see it there that your struggle against is advanced. It's so simple. The Bible is clear. The Bible is clear about these things. Verse 18. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and a new life. Adam's sin sold all of us to condemnation. Christ's righteousness brings a right relationship with God and a new life for everyone. I love verse 19. Let me read this in KJV. You will love this. 
Romans 5.19 For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So, people are made sinners because of Adam's disobedience. Now, so by the obedience of one shall many be made. Underline the word made. 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 So, we are made righteous. By what? By the obedience of Christ. Is it by prayer? No. Read Bible now. Now, did you become a sinner by learning it? No, nobody ever learned sin. <laughs> the same way we instinctively acted sin is the same way when we believe and receive this righteousness, we now instinctively begin to live right. It's the same thing. We are made sinners because Adam sinned. We are made righteous because Jesus obeyed. Simple equation. Simple so all this prayer, oh God, let me be right, is just a prayer out of ignorance. We are made righteous because of the obedience of Jesus Christ. Because of the obedience of Jesus Christ. I am not going to be more righteous tomorrow than I was the day I gave my life to Jesus Christ. You are not going to be more righteous than the way you were the day you so there's not like, oh, I want to be more righteous. There is no more righteous. You are made righteous through Jesus Christ. Let's look at verse 20 and 21. And that will be all. God's law was given so that all people could know or could see how sinful they were. Can you see? Sin was meant to bring awareness of sin. Sorry. Yeah, the law, sorry, was meant to bring awareness of sin. It was to bring men to know their sin. But it can never deliver men from sin. That is how terrible the law is. The law will show you sin, but it cannot tell you the way out. It cannot give you the way out. But God's wonderful grace is the way out. So you can see why the devil is fighting the grace message. You can see why. This is the only thing that saves men from sin. And yet, some preachers will even stand on the altar and be saying it boldly. I don't know sincerely. I just don't know how some people are bold to say such things. That the preaching of grace is the license to sin. I am yet to understand that kind of statement. When we saw in the Bible, did I read Jonah to you? Or I came with a book by one man of God. Except you don't believe Bible now. I'm reading Bible to you. That we saw, you can also see that this thing is what will deliver us from sin. <laughs> Somebody is not saying that it is the license to sin. You can see that at times, uh, I don't know what to say. When the grace, when grace is preached, men are liberated. That is all I know. When grace is preached, the way is meant to be preached. When the gospel is preached, men are saved. When healing is preached, men are healed. When grace is preached, men are liberated. Sin, the sin power is broken. The reason why sin is still abounding is because grace is not preached. Not that it's licensed to sin. Personally, I don't believe in that statement. And I will never believe in it. Because it's not scriptural. 
Even Bible says, can we sin and say grace will abound? Ah, so how can you now combine grace and sin? The Bible says the grace that, I mean, the grace that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Grace that brought salvation. The grace that saved you. Grace that gives you liberty to sin. Are you saved in the first place? I don't understand. And unfortunately, Christians don't think. They also now think, hey, Grace, I don't want to hear you. Now, nah, you don't want to hear what you like preach. Can you see that you have a problem? You, you just put things you heard somewhere. You, you have not sat down to check Bible on your own. Bible says we have been saved by grace through faith. How can what saved you now license you to sin? Is that logical? Even if you don't, if you don't know Bible logic, is that logical? That what is rescuing you from fire is not setting you on fire. Ah, I don't understand. <laughs> you get what I'm trying to say? What is delivering you from fire is now setting you on fire. No, something is wrong somewhere. Let's close with verse 21. Romans 5, 21. Just as sin ruled, please. I just want to take five minutes to explain this verse. The day I saw this verse, not that I read, the day I saw it, it was like an explosive. I had to chat one of my fathers in the faith. I said, sir, I have seen something today. He said, share with me, what did you see? When I shared it with him, he said, ah, he's been there now. I said, I just saw it today. Follow me quietly. So just as sin, rude, did you see that in front of sin, it is past tense, rude, over all people, and brought them to death, comma, I'm using NLT. Now, did you see the word now? Now means sin is past. Come and see what you need now. He said, now, God's wonderful grace rules instead. One ruled before. There is one that is ruling now. Can I expose you to this ruling king? It is the grace of God. It would be foolish for a man to go and be asking who was president, for example, in 1994. I want him to be my friend. And you want to do business in 2022. You will see that something is wrong with you. Because the man is out of government. The man has no touch with the present government. Are you hearing me? You need the ruling king today. You see, what we have been hearing in the church is about the dethroned king. Sin, 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 sin. But the Bible says that this man has been dethroned. What is my business with a king that ruled? When actually I need the king that is ruling. I don't know about you, but I think I need the ruling king. And this was what I saw. That so sin has ruled. Grace is the one ruling. <laughs> I'm telling you, that was the day I started embracing the grace of God. Because that is the ruling king. The Bible says, now, now. I don't care what sin has done in the past. Now, God's wonderful grace rules present tense, present continuous, not rude. Grace rules, grace rules, grace rules. Instead, giving us right standing with God. This is the grace that gives us right standing with God. What are you doing with the teaching of sin? 
It gives us right standing with God, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Can you see what is on the side of grace? On the side of sin, the only thing that we have there is death. On the side of grace, look at what we have, right standing with God, eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Don't you like that? So the choice is yours. A time, will, a time must come when you must make a decision. On which side of the divide do you want to stand? Unfortunately, many esteem men more than the word of God. Many esteem their pastor. I am not, of course, I have pastors over my life. But there is no mortal man living or dead, no matter his anointing, that I have rated above the word of God. Not one mortal man. Even if he has all the anointing of the whole world, he is not superior to the word of God. The word of God is my own church and my superior platform. I don't care what any man believes. As long as the word of God is true, that is all that matters. So you need to come to a point and make a decision. You want to stand on this side of the divide of sin and you stand on the divide of condemnation and death or you want to come to the side of the grace of God where you will have righteousness by, by faith as a gift to you and eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And this is where we are going to be wrapping up our teaching on the doctrine. By next week, we are moving into a new teaching series. Any questions so far? This is where we wrap up. Any questions so far? Especially today, I think you have seen that sin is not I committed it. It is one man who sinned and made all sinners. However, Jesus Christ, one man again, obeyed and made all men righteous. So I'm not righteous because I prayed. I'm not righteous because I fast. I am righteous because of his righteousness, Jesus Christ. Because of his obedience, I was made righteous. His obedience was what made me righteous, not my own. Quit performance. Embrace faith in the finished work of Christ. There is nothing you can do that can make you righteous. Because that means you must have to obey all the 623 laws every day of your life. And I bet you, you can't do that. You can't do that. Even Paul that wrote this epistle was a Pharisee. I hope you know. He knew what he saw when he said, Guys, I think righteousness by faith is the best. So if you want to go to with performance, all well and good. But I have taught you the way of the Lord. I have taught you the gospel and I have taught you nothing but the truth. So I don't know if you have any questions tonight uh, before I ask us to pray. And then we close. Don't forget that verse 21. You can still go and meditate on it. Romans 5.21 NLT Sin ruled but God's grace now rules. On which side of the divide do you want to be? If you still want to make an enemy of grace, like some men of God have said, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> the ball is left in your court. If you will ever make it without the grace of God, I doubt it. So if 
I think some of us need to even repent and come back to grace tonight and say, hey, I've spoken bad about you. Grace is not a message. Don't mistake that. Grace is not a movement. When you hear, hey, all these grace people, it's not a movement. Grace is a person. His name is Jesus Christ. Don't be fooled. Don't let them lie to you. It's not a movement. It's not a message. It's not a doctrine. It's not a sect. It's not a church thing. It's a person. His name is Jesus Christ, the Son of the Living God. Let us pray. Tonight I want to pray for those who have not received Jesus Christ. You have not received eternal life and you want to do that right now. And you are listening on any of the platforms tonight. You want to make Jesus the Lord of your life. You want your sins, which of course is forgiven. You want to walk in the assurance of the forgiveness of sins. You want to walk in the assurance of salvation. Can I ask you to bow your heart and pray this prayer of faith with me from the depth of your heart. Lord Jesus, I come before you today as a sinner. I have heard your word. I believe that you died for my sins. And on the third day, you rose again for my justification. Now, I confess you, Jesus Christ, as my Lord and personal Savior. And I receive the gift of righteousness. Now, I know that my sins are forgiven. I'm justified. I'm saved. I'm a child of God. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Amen. Friends, if you pray that prayer, According to the word of God, we believe you are saved. You are a child of God. You are now righteous. You are now a friend of God. You are now as Christ before God. Hallelujah. And I just want you to live in that consciousness and join a Bible-believing church. Don't go to a church because it's close to your house. Don't go to church by uh, how would I put it now? Don't go to a church by being partial or anything. Go to a church that will get you closer to the Word of God. Or go to a church that will bring the Word of God closer to you. I, I think that's always been my advice. Don't go to a church because it has a name. Go to a church because they preach Christ there. And they stand 